Cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys who use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, August 28th, 2012. Listening to Fighting for the Faith, my name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of really bizarre things being said and done in the name of God. I got another one of these bizarro things. That if well, I might as well just tell you. It's going to make you just basically scratch your head and go, "What?" Okay, so remember last week, Perry Noble's big ask. That's you know. Listen, if you think I'm you know being salacious here or something like that, that was his big deal. Was his you know basically asking all of the people at New Spring to invite a huge number of non-believers over to uh, New Spring Church uh with the goal of uh, of well having 3000 salvations now i just so you know i'm not reviewing that sermon today i'm about halfway through with it and um and i'm thinking if we're going to review that uh, sermon we're probably going to take a crack at it on Thursday so there is a very good chance that we will be doing a full-blown Perry Noble sermon review and take a look at the gospel that he preached as part of the the big ask that he man it, it, uh, it's frustrating to even have to say that anyway the, so, uh, that was part of the big thing and so the, by the way the name of the sermon series he's been working his way through is entitled house party but so so here was the deal is that all the people at new spring church were supposed to ask all of their friends family members and bring them to church because this was basically this is kind of old school evangelism sunday you know this is going to be the one time where perry noble intentionally preaches the gospel 
And you just sit there and go, you know, um, if he was doing his job, he'd be preaching the gospel every Sunday. You never know when a non-believer is going to wander in. Plus, listen, you and I, uh, as Christians, we need the gospel more, every bit as much as as, as more than uh, the non-believer. And, uh, you know, it, it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. And when you read the uh, Paul's letter to the uh, churches in Galatia, um, you know, harshly worded letter. And the, the the issue is, is that somehow they had thought, well, you know, listen, you know, Jesus's death on the cross isn't enough. And so it's like sanctification. And part of your justification, too, all depends upon, you know, the law, the law, 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 law. And it doesn't. And so, you know, but one of the things that goes on in American evangelicalism is, is that um, this is not just a phenomenon, by the way, in uh, megachurches or seeker-driven churches, is, is that the, the unbeliever who happens to show up at a megachurch on, you know, on, you know, one of these big outreach days, they're going to hear the gospel um, or something close to it. Um, you know, something gospel e, gospel ish, you know what? And the, you know, and the the whole goal here is to convince the person to make a decision to become a Christ follower. So that's the idea. Which, by the way, if you've studied church history and um, the heresies throughout church history, then you realize that that phrase, "make a decision to become a Christ follower," well. That is actually the Pelagian heresy. That's not uh, biblical Christianity. And if you're not sure what that means, go back through the archives of Fighting for the Faith. A few months ago, we did an entire sermon series, not sermon series, but lecture series by Phil Johnson, formerly of the Pyromaniacs blog. He's retired from the uh, Pyromaniacs blog, but um, where he went through the historical heresies of uh, you know of the early church in Christianity. And uh, the Pelagian heresy was one of the heresies that he touched on. And so um, if you're not sure what the Pelagian heresy is, then I strongly recommend that you uh, uh, take a listen to that lecture. Go back to fightingforthefaith.com, click on anyway. So but so the, the idea is this, is that, you know, the gospel or something gospel-ish, gospel-y, shows up on an evangelism outreach Sunday. But once somebody raises their hand, you know, with all heads bowed and, you know, everyone singing, uh, you know, just as I am, you know, a thousand times. But uh, you know, with all heads bowed, you know, people will sneak their hand up in the past, will acknowledge them in the audience, you know, the having made a decision to be a Christ follower or whatever. That, But once that happens, once they've, quote, crossed the line of faith, that's one of the popular phrases out there. Well, then what happens is, is that the gospel goes, it just disappears. And it's like they don't hear it again. And uh, you go, you go well, what you know? What's the deal here? You know, um, you know, you were telling me about Jesus and the cross, and then once I slipped my hand up, or you know, came down the aisle, or filled out the card, or whatever, you know, I, I've come back to this church, and Jesus has disappeared. Um, he makes cameo appearances, and that whole all that grace stuff it's turned into well now you've got a you know now that you've made that decision you know the grace thing you know that's in the rearview mirror and uh, instead what we need you to do now is start applying these you know five easy or seven simple biblical principles that we've isogeted from these various and sundry passages and you need to you know and start getting busy obeying and uh, and so the idea is is that you know you know now that you've made that decision that grace stuff that's in the past 
podcast. And uh, now we need you to apply these three simple steps to uh, to make you know have better behaved children, to enhance your marriage, to find your purpose, um, and, and and live a life of significance. Um, you, you get what I'm saying. And so uh, everything is law, 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 law. Even if it's law light, and it's not even the Ten Commandments. And, you know, a lot of times it's it's these principles that are kind of like you know, yappy chihuahuas, you know, you know, they sit there and nip at your at your heels, and and so the solution to every problem that you have, as far as you know, sin or problems in your life, is just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder to obey. And um, by the way, um, that's really not what the Bible teaches regarding Christian sanctification. Um, the gospel should never leave the building. The gospel needs to be preached to believers because it's the, the the gospel is the thing that gives us the power to begin excelling in good works. The law is powerless to um, you know help you do any good works. All it does is accuse you. And so the idea here is is that. If this is, you know, if if the church that you go to has these, you know, big evangelism things, you know, because now we're gonna, we're gonna get serious and we're gonna once a year pull the cross out in, you know, and whatever. Anyway, you get what I'm point. So the, this is one of the major problems here. Major confusion of law and gospel going on, and um, in American American evangelicalism, and that's one of the reasons why the gospel rarely makes any appearances in any of the sermons because they don't see. If, why would I need to preach the gospel? Somebody, they could preach, these people have already made a decision for Jesus. I don't under, the gospel's just baby stuff to get you into the fun park of works, you know. <laughs> At least that's how they think. Anyway, so all of that was a digression to come back to the main point that I was making, and and that is is that you'll never believe what um, the <clears throat> New Spring Praise Band opened up with. Um, uh, for this big evangelism outreach, you know, um, yeah, y- you all familiar with the band Kiss? Um, you know, they they dress in black and white and put on these, you know, this heavy, weird makeup kind of thing. Um, when I was growing up um, in attending Christian school back in the eighties, Kiss was one of those bands that. You, you you didn't listen to at least you didn't um let anybody know that you were i mean literally no no joke when i you know the christian school that i attended um we would have periodic chapel services where guys would literally come to chapel and uh, and spend the entire chapel service explaining to us the satanic roots of all of the most popular um secular music artists uh, and Believe me when I tell you, Kiss always showed up at like the top of the charts. I mean, you know, Black Sabbath, that was kind of obvious. But Kiss was up there, and I remember one guy saying to us, Do you know what Kiss stands for? And we're all, Oh, no. no." Um, He'd say, It stands for kids in Satan's service. So is that how you want to, would you want to fill your mind with kids in Satan's service? And (laughs) this guy was like the male version of the church lady from Saturday Night Live. Anyway, so believe me when I tell you, Kiss was not something you listened to, at least let on in in the Christian school. Um, of course, the the way you got around such things is um, you, you know you you'd go to your friends' houses, and, you know your friends' house, and you'd shut all the doors and and you know 
put the blinds down or whatever and, and you know, listen to the music you weren't supposed to. Uh, anyway, so and not that I know anything about that firsthand. I've, I've I obviously never listened to an album that I was never supposed to listen to. Anyway, so um, that being the case, so the um, the church service this past Sunday at uh, New Spring – um. Yeah. Started off with a Kiss cover song. <laughs> it's like I can't. You know, regardless of whether or not Kiss really stands for Kids and Satan Service or whatever, their value, Kiss's values, doesn't. They don't match up with Christ's values. Singing a Kiss song. I mean, you might as well just turn the pulpit, as far as I'm concerned, over to you know, the devil. <laughs> Not that they're yeah, you understand what I'm saying? Their values are like the exact opposite of what scripture calls us to. And so, you know, anyway, so what we'll be doing is uh we will be uh playing for you that song played by the New Spring Praise Band so that you can hear it. I've got a quick email that I want to get to today. We got a Patricia King update. And then, oddly enough, I you know, let's see. I've got a I've got a, an article I want to read from the Christian Post, and then I want to spend a little bit of time taking a look at the story of Jonah in preparation for our sermon review today. In our second hour of the uh, of the program, we're going to be reviewing a sermon by Craig Rochelle of LifeChurch.tv out there in Oklahoma City that he recently preached on the um, the story of Jonah. And the reason I picked it, by the way is because it represents what I would consider the classic mishandling and I mean of this particular book. I mean there's believe me when I tell you the the story of Jonah really is all about Christ and it's about God's mercy. And um and Craig Rochelle does a fairly decent job of setting up the story of uh, of Jonah but then things go terribly wrong, and it's odd to me that Bible teachers always seem to focus on the first couple of chapters of Jonah, but never get to the conclusion of the story itself, which is where the punchline is. I mean, I've, I've used this uh, metaphor before um, or analogy before. Uh, you know, when somebody's at the when you go to the office or you're with your friends, and somebody decides to tell you a joke. I mean, do they tell you half the joke? Or do they end up telling you the whole joke so that you can get to the punchline? And then when you get to the – so that you can go, oh, that's hilarious or whatever. So telling half of the story of Jonah is like – you know, and somehow it's literally, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's like telling a joke without the punchline. The punchline comes in the in the second half of the story of Jonah. That's where the punchline is, and it's a great gospel punchline. And uh, when you don't get to the punchline, then what ends up happening is is that you preach the, the, the Jonah story literally is all law, 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 no gospel. And yet the story of Jonah is really all about gospel, 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 gospel. So anyway, we'll be doing that today. So you know, make yourself comfortable. We've got literally a ton of ground that we need to cover in uh, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. If fuzzy bunny slippers, um, by the way, they do enhance your listener experience. Strongly recommend it, um, if, and unless, of course, you know the temperature in your home is like excessively hot, hot as a result of warm weather and things like that. Then your feet sweat and it detracts from your listener experience. So fuzzy bunny slippers, if you have them, we're just going to dive into the program proper. Here we go. 
Okay, you know, I actually got two emails. One from Janice in uh, Tennessee and one from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. First email comes from Janice in Tennessee. The uh, subject reads Pete Wilson, um, not to be confused with the former governor of California. Anyway, that would be the sermon we reviewed yesterday. Uh, Janice writes, she says, Dear Chris, I, I guess Pete Wilson's mention of our Lord praying, not my will, but thine, was supposed to be his nod to the gospel? Question mark? Yeah, um, I don't know if he... I, I'll be blunt with you, Janice. Um, I'm not sure he was even trying to make a nod to the gospel. The not my will, the not my will, but thine, Lord, thing was really not the gospel. They're not even close to the gospel and not even a nod to the gospel. That's just basically you need to follow the example that Jesus followed and take this attitude the same that he had. Forget the fact that he died for you on the cross. I mean, if he was actually going to make a nod to the gospel, he would actually have to, you know, say something about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, things like that. Anyway, so Janice continues, she says, Our Lord was not waiting for his dream. You're right, he wasn't. Um, he was facing the cross. Yes, he was. His brook had not dried up. I completely agree with you, Janice. Uh, the cross was what he'd been waiting for and facing all his life. I, I agree with you, Janice. You're actually right on the mark here. Oh, oh, yes, and he'd been waiting, but not for a dream to come true. Our culture and our churches seem to uh, all seem focused on avoiding or mollifying suffering at all costs. How is it that we've forgotten that our salvation was accomplished by suffering? Yeah, and I would even add to that, um, Janice, that, you know, by the way, she goes, it's you know, kind of written out here. Um, that when the apostles, when you read the book of Acts and the apostles were first um, jailed and then beaten, um, they consider them, it, they actually received their their first beatings uh, for preaching the gospel with joy. And the text itself says something to the effect of, this is the Roseboro memory um, uh, translation, if you would, so this is from memory, but something to the effect of that they, they this was a good, a joyful thing because they had been considered, they had been deemed worthy to um, suffer shame for the name of Christ and partake in his sufferings, things like that. And yeah, see, these, you know, these folks at these mega churches, uh, you know, like Pete Wilson's out there in Nashville. Yeah, suffering doesn't seem to. You know, in fact, they would basically look at suffering as a sign that something's wrong. You know, I, I'm not doing this Christian thing right. The reason why is because their the their quote gospel is all works based, and the idea is if I obey, then I put God in my debt. And God's supposed to give me a life of significance. I'm supposed to go on tour. I'm supposed to, you know, all these great things are supposed to happen because those are the wages of your obedience. You see what I'm saying? Anyway, <clears throat> Jan uh, finishes. She says, uh, we're told in Scripture that the gods, the false gods, are blind, dumb, and unfeeling. And when we make ourselves gods, we're the same. Unfortunately, we just don't believe it. Great points, um, uh, Jan. 
All right. Pastor Charmley writes, uh, the, by the way, his subject line reads, Why the Elephant Does Not Fly. Pastor Charmley says, Dear Chris, listening to you read from the disoriented, reoriented blogger about the story of the blind men and the uh, elephant amused me because liberals have been using the story for well over a century to attack certainty. And he's absolutely spot on on this point. So much so that the thing really ought to be a cliche by now. The trouble is, whether the speaker is Paul or the Victorian poet John Godfrey Sachs, the person telling the story is asserting that he can see the elephant. Great point. Uh, Sachs wrote, So oft in theologic wars the disputants, I ween, rail on an utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prop... A prat about an elephant not one of them has seen. The trouble being, of course, is that Sachs supposes that he can see the elephant. Otherwise, how can he say that thou, thou each was partly in the right and all were in, and all were in the wrong? Telling, tellingly, the parable appears to have been first used by mystics who were indeed claiming to be able to see what others could not. Versions of the story are found among the uh, Jain, the Buddhists, the Hindus, and the Sufi Muslims. To the Jain, the story illustrates the Jain belief that truth can be stated in many different and apparently contradictory ways. The important thing to the Jain is that all were in the right. To the Buddhists, the story has rather a different meaning. It illustrates that all sectarian quarrels are a result of ignorance and will be ended by the enlightenment that the Buddha brings. Here, the parable is entirely fitting because it is being told by the one who is enlightened and knows what the truth really is. The Sufi, again, offers enlightenment and claims that his mysticism will end our blindness this also fits with the actual parable since the sufi sees the elephant or thinks that he does but for a postmodernist it is a singularly inapt parable the postmodernist is after all trying to say that we cannot say what god is like and that no one can know yet they insist on using a parable that teaches nothing of the kind if we are all blind, then we surely cannot say that because we do not know what it is like to see sight is something outside of our experience, is it not? So that makes no sense, does it? The postmodernist is therefore, like Sachs, reduced to absurdity, claiming that all are blind in one breath and in the next asserting that he can see. <laughs> uh, Pastor Charmley, that is a brilliant point. And I think in the future, uh, the next time I run across a postmodernist telling me about elephants and blind men, I <laughs> just might have to make your argument in the moment uh, because I think that, well, illustrates it very, very well. Moving along. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as, as long, long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus-pocus And the scent of burning sulfur in the air I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke But they love me everywhere For it really doesn't That means we're doing a Perry Noble update I do As long as I do it with a flair and it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, as long as I say it with a flair. 
First I rattle off a ready stock of gibberish and poppycock and fix you with my best hypnotic stare. With my moans and groans and sufferific tones, they have cheered me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say. I sell it when I tell it with a C. All right, yeah. So we're doing a Perry Noble update. Over and again, it just (laughs) absolutely dumbfounds me that that silly song that we picked for um, Perry Noble a long time ago as our update music for him, that really continues to play out to be the case. doesn't matter what he says, as long as he says it with a flair. doesn't matter what he does, as long as he does it with a flair. And so it doesn't really matter that he starts off his church service, well, with this. Welcome to New Spring. Come on, everybody on your feet. It's time to party. I need everybody to clap your hands like we're in a big rock show in an arena. Come on. if I'm wrong here. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Um, but I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. Is that really the goal of the Christian life? Just, you know, just asking a logical question. Is, is it me or does it seem like the <clears throat> values taught in this particular song from the band Kiss seem at odds just maybe it's me but they these these values this, this this goal this thing that they're singing about just seems to be the antithesis of what the scripture teaches that we should be focusing our mind on but anyway point something out here in in the seeker driven parlance okay see the secular cover song like this this is actually justified this way they would here's how they would argue we are selflessly this this is basically us not being selfish we are selflessly showing the the seekers in our area that we care about them so much that we're willing to pray, play, not pray, play their music in church. And it, this is, this is, just, see, this is an act of selflessness on our part. And so, and you Christians out there who go to those churches that sing hymns and you are selfish. You are absolutely the problem in the church. The, the church isn't growing because of 
people like you who are so selfish that you sing all of those hymns and stuff. See, we're being selfless here and, and, and humbly, humbly showing our neighbors that we care about them. So see, we're selfless and you Christians out there who sing hymns in church and, 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 and exegete all those Bible passages during this, you are nothing but selfish. And all you think about is your, see, but we're really selfless. This, see, this is an ultimate act of selflessness on our part. You, you see how that works? this in mind here the context here last week was well we're perry noble invited everybody to do the big ask and so what all of the new springers out there are they've invited their friends and family to church and so the pagans have shown up and this is what they start church off with right on yeah it's we 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 like to party and rock and roll all night just like you guys do part about this is that there is a very large rugged cross on stage this is weird Because Jesus was all about rocking and rolling all night and partying every day. Wasn't that what the children of Israel were doing when Moses was up receiving the Ten Commandments? Things went bad there, yeah. Now, the good news is, is that the uh, Lee McDermott, the uh, praise and worship leader out there at New Spring, that he did not decide to put on the face paint and yeah, stick his tongue out while playing this particular song. I'm very thankful for that, by the way. But that kind of begs the question, can, is it possible to even sanctify such a thing? All right, so... Uh that was the ultimate act of selflessness on the part of the New Spring Praise Band. You know, show, basically, selflessly playing music that the pagans in the local area would relate to. You know, to show them that we really care about you. And uh, you Christians out there who um, you attend a church where, you know, you sing hymns. You are selfish. And see, and so we can we can just look to the selfless example of the folks there at New Spring Church to show us how properly to utilize <clears throat> a praise band. If you'd like to email me regarding 
anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. How do you top that? We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> New from Los Lobos Ministry Records, an album that's just oozing with the love of Christ. It's Pastor Perry Noble's new techno praise album entitled More Like Jesus. The songs on this album will melt your face off in a sanctified way. This album includes... The number one purpose-driven praise techno dance song of all time, entitled, Well, You Might Just Want to Hear It for Yourself. If you're one about the jackass in the church, the jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you serve. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. What about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. What about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. Don't you feel closer to Jesus after hearing that sample? Well, we've got another one for you, too. This one's entitled, You Officially Suck. I think that you officially suck as a human being. I think that you officially suck as a human being. Listen, I'm playing games, y'all. I think that you officially suck as a human being. I'm not playing games. I think that you officially suck as a human being. Other tracks include Your Grandma Smokes Weed and like hanging out with people that make me uncomfortable. Act now, and Los Lobos Ministry will even throw in a free bonus track by Stephen Furtick entitled, Cause They're Stupid. Here's a sample. Cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church because they're stupid. Because they're stupid. Because they're stupid. Because they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church because they're stupid. Because they're stupid. So act now and get Pastor Perry Noble's brand new techno praise album entitled More Like Jesus.
Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages, over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in Biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and Biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net. Situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, the body of Christ, when it gathers for church, is the temple of the living God. Do you bring idols and paganism into the temple of God? Certainly not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you'll find our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, now I'm looking at my time here and I'm going to make an executive decision. (laughs) I always laugh when I say that because it's like I'm the only executive at Pirate Christian Radio. So I I have executive decision-making power. So I have that authority, that exousia. <laughs> anyway, before it gets to my head, if you have your Bible, flip on over to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, I'm going to point out the punchline of this great book, by the way. And there's a gospel punchline in here. And I want to teach this text a little bit here. 
point out the the clear symbols in the text the uh, the allusions the types that point us to Christ and his resurrection and then and then you know and then kind of point out the punchline here in preparation for our sermon review today so Craig Rochelle in the past I've reviewed sermons of his and what I've noticed is is that He's not particularly innovative as a uh, as a megachurch pastor. In fact, the 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 sermons I hear him preach oftentimes are the same types of sermons that I heard when I was growing up. A very legalistic, almost clueless when it comes to the fact that Christians need to hear the gospel, and you know it just complete confusion of law and gospel seems to be a, a standard thing with Craig Rochelle. But uh, let me let me point something out here from the Book of Jonah, and it's going to take me a, a little bit to read through this. So work with me here. We're all familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale. That's what pe- that's how it's taught to kids. Although the text itself says big fish. Now I'm not going to give you all of the background story to this. I'm going to let Craig Rochelle do that in his sermon because he actually does a decent job of at least explaining why the uh, Israelites of uh, Jonah's day did not like in that's like like an understatement um why there was such animosity towards um the people in Nineveh and so you know I'll let Craig Rochelle explain that to you but let me let me look at this text here Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it for the evil that has come up before me but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord, Yahweh, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it uh, for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Okay, pause right here. Okay, so here's the scenario. God, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, go and speak out against Nineveh. And the question is, why is Jonah running? Okay, and so the, the way this ha- this text often gets mishandled and mangled is that Jonah is somehow the reluctant prophet. Okay, now on some level that's true. But there's a very specific reason why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, okay? And the fact that the Ninevites are like these cruel, cruel war criminals. I mean, what they're what they're guilty of is just absolutely beyond the pale. As far as I mean, seriously, if the Ninevites were around today they would be brought up on war crimes. I mean, that's how brutal and terrible they were in uh, in, in battle and the things that they did to towns and cities that they conquered. It's, it's unspeakable, the torture that they, uh, that they went to. But see, that doesn't exactly explain it either. It's not just that, well, they're, they're bad people. That's not the issue. There's, a, there's actually a gospel reason why Jonah doesn't want to go, and it's in the punchline of the story. 
So I'm telling you that here so that you can remember this as the story unfolds. Now, notice here that God at this point sends a tempest, and the fact that Jonah is asleep inside of the the, the ship, <laughs> Jonah knows what's going on. He knows what's going down. And God at this point is, you know, is disciplining, and you'll notice that the raging tempest and all this kind of stuff is a result of his rebellion and sin, okay? So in his, as we read this, there is actually a, you know, a sacrifice of atonement to calm the wrath of God theme in here that you can tie directly to Christ. But also when we get to the story of the big fish, there is a death and resurrection type and shadow here that Jesus picks up and uses for himself in his own ministry. Uh, and so let, let me let me read here. Okay, so uh, uh, verse 7. So they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Surprise, surprise. So then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will be quiet, uh, will quiet down for you. For I know it, it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to Yahweh, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. I'm going to stop right here. Amazing story, and the human sacrifice elements, even though the shadow here is really kind of foggy to see, you can see the shadow of the, of the human sacrifice of Christ. And in a very similar way, um, God's raging and wrath against our sin, okay, is quieted because of the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. You can preach the gospel from this text so clearly, and the, this text has a gospel punchline here. So, I mean, this, this is not, these types and shadows here of, the, of Christ's crucifixion to propitiate the wrath of God. Notice that God's wrath is propitiated by the sacrifice of Jonah by throwing him into the sea. 
Also, you'll notice that their prayer that God would not hold them accountable. I think I personally think that there's a tie-in that you can even pull into there regarding Pilate and washing his hands of the crucifixion. There, I, there's, you can clearly preach the the crucifixion and Christ's death for our sins from this text. Okay, then it continues, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Um, just so you know, Jesus uses this exact, exact, you know, miracle, if you would, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, where he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. Okay. So Jesus's own death and resurrection is likened to the sign of Jonah. So this idea that somehow, you know, this that Jonah's story ties to Christ, that's not something I invented. And it's not something the church invented. That's actually Jesus himself makes that point uh, in Matthew chapter 16, that where he considers Jonah's, quote, death and resurrection three days in the belly of a f- great fish. You know, in a sense, he was dead for three days and then rose again. You see the you see the idea here. That idea doesn't come from me. That's Jesus's own thing, and he says that that is a sign. So again, what, what did Jesus say? An evil, adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Okay. So Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So the story of Jonah is intimately wrapped up in the whole salvation, propitiation of the wrath of God, um, a, 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 a sacrifice to propitiate and salvation belongs. So you got death, resurrection. It's all there, right there in the text. Okay. Now I'm not going to tease all the elements out here, but I'm just trying to point out the anchor points for it all. Now, chapter two, verse ten. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. Now this is the that's the verse that all the kids like to hear in Sunday school, and everyone goes, "Ew." Okay. But again, the story doesn't end there, and you don't stop the story here. Yet so many people, when they teach this text, they stop it right here. The story continues. And like I said, it has a gospel punchline. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, 
went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is the message that God gave him to preach. And the people of Nineveh believed God. That's the amazing part. When you understand, and I'll let, like I said, I'll let Craig Rochelle do the backstory here. When you understand who these people were and what they have done, Jonah shows up in a foreign pagan city and he preaches really basically the penalty for your sin. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed. They believed. And see, this is the best part. The people of Nineveh believed God. They believed. And you know what God did? He forgave them. Jesus himself says that the people of Nineveh will rise up on the last day and they will condemn those who didn't believe Jesus. Why? Because now Nineveh, Nineveh, these pagan Gentile war criminals, torturers, they repented at the preaching of the prophet. Israel didn't repent at the preaching of the prophets that God sent them, but Nineveh did. And so they, like you and like me, are declared righteous by faith and trust in the one true God who forgives sins. Because, as Jonah said, salvation belongs to the Lord. So they believed. They then called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they had done, how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, this is the reason Chapter 4, verse 1, reveals the reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, and you are merciful, and you are slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. That's the reason why he fled. You see... 
it's not exactly that he was, quote, a reluctant prophet, that he just had an obedience problem. The reason why, according to Jonah, from his own mouth, the reason why he fled to Tarshish was because he knew that God is gracious and that he's merciful and he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah wanted Nineveh to be judged and for God to destroy them. He wanted them to face the wrath of God because that is exactly what they deserved. And he's right. That is what they deserved. But see the gospel hook here. You and I deserve that too. You and me both. We have sinned grievously against God. We don't deserve his good blessings. We don't even deserve to be breathing his air. And see, this is all about salvation and grace. Think about it. God forgave Nineveh. This would be like God forgiving Hitler. It would be like God forgiving the Nazis. That's how scandalous this is. And that is the reason why Jonah didn't want to go. And if you preach this text without this punchline, you miss the whole point. The reason why he didn't want to go is because he didn't want them forgiven. He didn't want them to repent and to be forgiven and for God to relent. But what good news it is that God relented. What great news it is that God forgave and was merciful even to the people of Nineveh. Because then I know he can be forgiving to a sinner the likes of me and the likes of you. Turn, repent. It is not long before God overthrows you and you face the wrath of God. But turn, repent, and believe, for salvation belongs to the Lord. He is kind, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and resent and relenting from disaster especially the disaster of hell. That's the whole point of this text. That's the punchline. And when you leave that punchline out or you don't even have it in view when you preach the front part of Jonah, you end up turning this into a law passage and a law text. And Jonah is just riddled with nothing but mercy, grace, forgiveness of sins, death and resurrection. It's all right there in God's wrath being propitiated. And it points us to Christ. All right. So the reason I brought all that up, well, is in preparation for our sermon review today. And uh, we are up on our second break. And um, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. When we get back, sermon review from Craig Rochelle from the book of Jonah. See how he stands up. We'll be right back.
sissy-oprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Our number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Like I said, we're going to be listening to a Craig Rochelle sermon regarding Jonah. But let me do this the right way. ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via LifeChurch.tv. Craig Rochelle presiding. The name of the sermon is entitled, well, Jonah. Now, as you uh, listen to this sermon on Jonah, ask yourself a couple of questions. Well, like this. Is Craig Rochelle rightly handling this text does he have any clue regarding what the punchline is for this um, text and the reason I ask is because as you listen to this um, it may become patently obvious that he's completely missed the gospel which is so clear in Jonah when you just read it in context and you let the text speak for itself by the way this is the reason why exegeting passages is a wise thing to do and any pastor before launching into a sermon on a particular biblical text it behooves him to have read the whole work for instance uh, it'd be silly to start an entire sermon series on like the book of isaiah if your pastor has never read isaiah or has only read chapter one (laughs) 
<laughs> these certain pre- pieces kind of fit together there. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. So just ask yourself, does he even realize what's in Chapter 4? Because what's in Chapter 4 makes all of Chapter 1 make sense when you get to Chapter 4. Yeah, you get what I'm saying anyway. So let's uh, kill the music, and without any further ado, here is Craig Rochelle and his sermon entitled, Jonah. today to uh, all of our campuses. We're so glad that you're with us. Let's pull out our Bibles together, open them to the book of Jonah. It's a bit difficult to find, so if you want to go to your table of contents, you can do that. That's not cheating. Or a little hint, it is between Obadiah and Micah, or my Bible's on page 901. Don't know if that'll help you or not, but uh, anyway, it's there. Uh, how many of you basically know the story of Jonah? You pretty much know the story of Jonah. A lot of people do. story of a guy who doesn't do what God wants him to do. Uh, God puts him in the belly of a big whale. He lights a candle. The whale throws him up on shore, and he gets to be a real boy for the rest of his life. Okay, no, that's Pinocchio. It's kind of muddled up. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story that a lot of people consider to be kind of a kid's story that you hear about in Sunday school. But the truth is the story of this reluctant prophet Jonah really will speak into all of our lives if we listen to the Spirit of God. So let's start today in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It will set the context for us. Here's what Scripture says. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And this is what God said. God said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. In verse 3, though, we see Jonah's unfortunate response. Scripture says what? Help me out, all of our campuses. The Bible says, but Jonah did what? Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to do what? He sailed for Tarshish to to flee from the Lord. He was a man on the run. Let's look at some of the meaning behind a few of the words. If you're taking notes, first of all, Jonah, uh, he's called by many as the reluctant prophet. He was a prophet of God that often did what was right. But in this particular story, we're going to find that he did not obey God at all. His name, if you're taking notes, it actually means dove. So he was called the dove or the peaceful one who ended up disobeying God and is now known as the reluctant prophet. Uh, next word in your notes is the word Amittai, or Amittai, and that is his father. He was the son of Amittai. Amittai actually means truth, which is a great name for a prophet to be the son of truth. Uh, Nineveh was the, the city that he was commanded to go and preach to. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Nineveh was Israel's absolute foremost worst enemy. Israel hated the Ninevites, and you'll see why as we go on into our study. Uh, Let's look at verse 1 again, and as we do, as we start to look at this story, I believe that God may show you what he's shown me, that we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. Jonah 1.1 says this. Help me out. The Bible says the what? Say it aloud. The, The word of the Lord. One more time. All the campuses, you guys can do better. The what? The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Good news is that the word of the Lord will come to you today. God is a God who loves to speak. Whenever God created, he said, let there be, 
and there was. He created with the spoken word. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God is a speaking God. God created Adam and Eve because he wanted to love and... Okay, now that's a weird point. The word of the Lord's going to come to you like it came to Jonah. I'm not a prophet. Are you a prophet? Something's screwy here. God is a speaking God. God created Adam and Eve because he wanted to love and to be loved. He wanted to speak. He spoke with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. He is a speaking God. Throughout history, God speaks in different ways. God has often spoken with the audible voice. God has often spoken through his prophets. God. So apparently the, the, the word of the Lord came to uh, Jonah somehow means that the word of the Lord is going to come to you. And God's word can come to you in many various different ways. Ways. That's not what this text is teaching. God is a speaking God. God created Adam and Eve because he wanted to love and to be loved. He wanted to speak. He spoke with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. He is a speaking God. Throughout history, God speaks in different ways. God has often spoken with the audible voice. God has often spoken through his prophets. God has spoken through circumstances. God has spoken through the voice of his Holy Spirit. If you've never, ever heard the voice of God, you can and will today if you simply open up his word. This is his word. It's described, self-described as living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is his word that pierces, that is truth, that is living. It will transform. The word of the Lord will come to you. And God will speak to some of you a very specific word. His word will be to change something, to move in a new direction, to be obedient to what he says to you, and you'll have a choice. You can do what God wants you to do, and that is to be obedient to his word, or you can do what Jonah did and said, I don't want to be obedient to you. The word of the Lord. Oy, man, talk about m turning this into a moralistic teaching. Good night. So... When the word of the Lord comes to you, you can either be a tragedy like Jonah or you can just obey. That's not what this text is about. Notice, he's basically turned this into an all-law, moralistic sermon on a text that if he'd just taken the time to read it, he'd realize, oh, wow, there's a ton of gospel in here. Makes me wonder if he knows what the gospel is. We continue want to be obedient to you. The word of the Lord will come to you. That's the good news. The challenging news for many people is this, if you're taking notes, when God's word comes to you, he will often ask you to do some things that you don't want to do. He'll often ask you to do some things that you don't want to do. And the reason we don't want to do them a lot of times is because we really like to believe that we know what's best. We like to try to convince ourselves that, that we really know what is better. For example, all of our campuses, if you guys could help me out, what's best, chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla or chocolate? How many of you say chocolate? Hands down, chocolate. How many say vanilla? Vanilla all the way. Some of you voted twice. That is not fair at all. Okay. What is best? Well, strawberry is best. Okay. You know, we, whatever. We like to think we know what's best. Sometimes someone in authority or someone with more knowledge will tell us what to do. And we say, I don't want to do that. I feel like I know what's best. My family and I, we were in uh, Colorado for some, uh, some time off and I took my three oldest girls. We went on a little hike and a lady came running up to us and said, you guys have to leave here now. And I'm like, look, we came here. This is a public place. Why? And she's like, you just have to leave here now. Get out of here now. And I'm like, 
Why? And she said, because there is a bear up in that tree. Oh, I see. Okay. And there was, there was a little bitty black bear, a really cute little baby black bear. And she just said, get out of here now. So guess what we did? You think we left? Actually, no, I took my phone out that had a little camera on it, got as close as we could, and taking pictures. You know, look at that cute little bear. Look at a baby bear. Baby, 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 baby bear. And all this stuff. And she came up again. She said, get out of here now. I'm like, why? She's an innocent little baby bear. And she said, whenever there's a baby bear close by, there's usually a... So we got out of there, Okay. When I understood the context of the assignment, I understood the reason behind it. Uh, then we went home. This is true. And we got back to our little, the place we were staying. And guess what we saw? Mama. Believe it or not, Mama was in our garbage can eating our leftovers from the night before. So there was big Mama bear, little baby bear. And we were Goldilocks and we got out of town. I mean, we just left. It freaked us out. Bears everywhere on vacation. A lot of times we feel like we know what is best and we don't want to obey when the word of the Lord comes to us. This was the context of Jonah. And we see this actually take place in uh, verse... Now remember that Jonah himself stated exactly why he went to Tarshish. Okay? And here's what he said again. Jonah 4.1 But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, that is, is that the Ninevites repented... And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So, you know, apparently the word of the Lord is now going to come to you like it came to Jonah. And you just need to obey and and not end up in the, the belly of a fish like Jonah did. This is a cautionary tale now about obeying when the word of the Lord comes to you. Unbelievable. He misses the whole point. The whole point is the gospel. And we got out of town. I mean, we just left to get freaked us out. Bears everywhere on vacation. A lot of times we feel like we know what is best and we don't want to obey when the word of the Lord comes to us. This was the context of Jonah. And we see this actually take place in uh, verse 2. Here is the command. God says to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and do what? God said, I want you to preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, you might wonder, well, okay, Jonah's a prophet, and that's what he does is he, he preaches God's word. So why didn't he just obey this very simple assignment? Well, when you understand the history of Nineveh or the Assyrian Empire, uh, you understand a little more why he hated them. Now, stop. Okay, notice here. He's going to explain his Jonah's disobedience in light of his hatred of the Ninevites. That is n- not a sufficient answer. That's partly true, but the reason is is that he didn't want God to forgive him. That's what Jonah himself says. And the history of Nineveh or the Assyrian Empire, uh, you understand a little more why he hated them. The Assyrian Empire, of which Nineveh was the capital city, uh, whenever it was rumored that the Assyrians would be attacking somebody, they were so brutal in the way they would handle the captives. They would torture them and just be so destructive that occasionally when it was rumored that the Assyrians were going to be attacking, sometimes a whole town of people would just commit mass suicide. 
because they would rather die that way than to experience what was coming. That's how feared the Assyrian Empire was, and they were hated. Let me tell you a little bit about You can read this in history books. This is what they would do. They would go in, and they'd take over a city. They'd kill all sorts of people. Then the surviving women, they would rape before they would kill them. They would often even rape the little girls. They would torture some of the kids, and then they would take the husbands who are prisoners of war, the men. They'd take them outside the city, and they would skin them alive. Then once they were skinned, they would actually bury them in the desert sand up to their necks. You can imagine the pain they they would be in. Then they would take their tongues and they would pull their tongues out and they would drive a stake through their tongues so that they would go crazy as they were dying of thirst in the middle of the desert. And then all through the night, they would make them listen to Paris Hilton CDs just to... There's a line about that last part, but the rest of it is, is all true. You can just you can you can start to imagine the horror of you got a stake driven through your tongue, and and most people would go crazy before they died. Then once they were dead, they would behead them, and they would take the heads of all the prisoners of war, and they would make a pyramid of heads outside the city to say to the rest of the world, "This was a city that we conquered." Okay. When you know that, maybe you have a little more mercy for John and when he said, I don't want to go there. I hate these people. Uh, That's not what he said. See, Jonah actually explained in chapter 4 why he didn't want to go. You don't seem to be aware of that little fact. The prisoners of war, and they would make a pyramid of heads outside the city to say to the rest of the world, this was a city that we conquered. Okay? When you know that, maybe you have a little more mercy for John and when he said, I don't want to go there. I hate these people. It could have been that he had a relative or a friend or someone who'd actually experienced that. He despised them. God said, I want you to do something. And in his mind, he had some legitimate reasons why he didn't want to obey God. Maybe you can relate. The word of the Lord will come to some of you, and you'll hear specifically from God, this is what I should do. And in your mind, you may think, okay, I understand that's what you want me to do, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Perhaps you can relate in different ways. Maybe someone Someone has has wronged you and hurt you or, or, or hurt someone that you love, and the word of the Lord comes to you, and the word of the Lord for you is to forgive them. To forgive as you have been forgiven. And you look and you go, I don't want to. They don't deserve it. I don't feel like forgiving them. I know that's what God wants me to do, but I don't want to do it. I know a lot of you have have heard the teaching of the tithe, the biblical tithe, that the scripture is crystal clear. Uh, his, um, His teaching on the tithe is not what the Bible teaches, by the way. A lot of you have, have, have heard the teaching of the tithe, the biblical tithe, that the scripture is crystal clear, that God trusts us to manage his resources, and, and 10%, the first 10% of what he trusts to us belongs to him. We don't give the tithe, we return the tithe as an act of worship. And yet, a lot of you have heard that, and you're like, I don't want to do that. I know that's what God says, but I don't want to. Because in my mind, that doesn't make sense. And I like my things more than I want to obey God. I simply don't want to do it. Maybe you're dating somebody and he's just cute. Or she smells good. 
unlike your other friends, you know. And, and, and you, get, you get close to this person, and you got tingly-wingly-wingly-wingly. You know, you just get the tingly-wingly-wingly-wingly-wingly. And so you got the tingly-wingly-wingly. Next thing you know, you've been doing some stuff you shouldn't do. You've been messing around. The word of the Lord will come to you. That is for marriage. That is not for dating. You got a choice. A lot of people say, well, I know it's what God says, but I want to do this. I don't care what God says. I want to do this. It feels good. Makes me feel loved. I don't care what God says. The Jonah in all of us. Maybe the word of the Lord has come to you and you thought, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do that now. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll get to it, I'll get to it later. Remember this. Delayed obedience is really disobedience. All right. Delayed obedience is really disobedience. So now truly, Jonah was disobedient. Do you know how merciful God was towards Jonah? I mean, even God was merciful in like the highest way to Jonah. Okay, let me read a little bit more from chapter four. Keep in mind, here in chapter four, Jonah explains to God the reason why he disobeyed him. Okay, and it was because he knew God is merciful. Okay, and so let me finish the prayer. Okay. Verse 2, just a little context here. Okay. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. (laughs) Take it from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to him, Do you do well to be angry? Look at how merciful God is. So then Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. And he sat under it in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. And nothing did because God relented because they repented and believed. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that it might be made a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. Look, God is is even being merciful to his disobedient prophet, giving him a plant to give him shade, to shade him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so then it withered. So when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me than to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Is this any way to talk to God? And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and then perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. (laughs) 
This whole story is just chocked with grace and mercy and forgiveness. Our God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's just rich and teeming with these beautiful themes of God's mercy and grace. And the only thing that Craig Groeschel can find in this story is, well, the word of the Lord is going to come to you, and you better obey. You had better obey. That's all I'm saying. You know, when the word of the Lord comes to you, are you going to obey or not? I mean, you got to make a decision now. You don't want to. You don't want to not obey. And so, how? What are the different ways the word of the Lord is going to come? You get what I'm saying here? It's like he's missed the whole point. Delayed obedience is disobedience. It's kind of like the parenting technique of teaching your kids, you know, do this, do this. Come on now, do this. Don't make me come over there. Do that. I told you to do this. I'm serious now. Okay. I'm going to count to three. Okay. One, two, two and a half. Okay. What are we doing? We're teaching delayed obedience. Don't run out into the street. Don't run out in the street. One, two, splat. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Uh, I like what my friend Erwin McManus says. He's an author and a uh, pastor in California, great guy. He says the mark of maturity is what he calls lag time, lag time. Uh, You can tell the maturity of a person between the distance of the command of God and the obedience. If the distance is short, they are mature. If the distance is long, it's immaturity. And I'm so afraid. Well, there's a huge lag time between the command in Scripture for pastors to rightly handle God's word rightly divide it, and um, Craig Rochelle's obedience in that matter must be a mark of his immaturity, don't you think? ...that we have a church full of people in our church that there's lag time, if obedience at all. Command of God, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. The word of the Lord will come to you. He'll often tell you to do some things that you don't want to do. Jonah said... I don't want to go there. I don't want to have anything to do with those people. They make me angry. Remember this, thought number two. God will speak to you, and he may tell you to do something you don't want to do. Whenever God does speak, number two, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. And now we're going to allegorize. So whenever God speaks to you, you can always find a boat going in the wrong direction. Hmm. Not exactly handling this text well, is he? You can always find a ship moving in the wrong way. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You say, hey, I want to obey God. I want to do what he's called me to do. And then all of a sudden your old buddy comes up and says, hey, don't go that way. Let's go back to what we used to do. Hey, let's go back to the old life. Watch how it happens here in Jonah. God says, I want you to preach to the Ninevites. Verse 3, Scripture says this, but Jonah did what? Say it aloud. Here's what he did. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Then he headed for Tarshish. Then he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish. Why did he sail for Tarshish? Because he wanted to what? He wanted to, he wanted to run from God. What did God say? God said, basically, go east to Nineveh. And Jonah said, uh-uh, I'm going west to Tarshish. 2,500 miles away from the target destination. That's how far it was, 2,500 miles away. One commentary said that it would take about a year to sail from where he was to where he was going. That's a lot of running. Some of you right now, you can relate. You may be sitting next to someone who thinks you're absolutely on track, but you know in your heart you've been running, and you're a long way from God. The word of the Lord has come to you. Here's what I want you to do. 
And somewhere along the way, months or weeks or years back, you said, no, no. I know that's what you want, God, but I don't want to obey you. You've been on the run. And you think you can get away with it? You need to understand you can run for a while, but you can't run forever. You cannot run forever because it will catch up to you. Maybe, maybe you're not on the run as much as you're just drifting, just drifting. One time I took my kids to the, the beach. My family were there, had a little lake house thing, and um, we were out playing in the water, just playing. Making shark noises. Dun, 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 dun. Do you see that? There's a shark, you know. Just play it. Then we looked up and we we're like, where's our house? Where's our house? Hour later, we couldn't find a house. We had drifted several houses down and we didn't even know it. Until we looked back at our point of reference, we hadn't realized just how far we had drifted. Some of you, you may be able to relate because maybe months or years ago, you are really close to God. You, you, you know what I'm talking about when, you, when you're like praying and God answers your prayers and, and then you're like, you're going, man, that was a coincidence and there's another coincidence. These aren't coincidences. These are God things. And, and God would prompt you to do something or say something and so you do it or say it and then he'd bless you. You're like, whoa, that's just amazing. And, and then his word was a, a valuable part of every day and you'd open it up. You're like, man, that was like for me and and. That was for me, and it is speaking. To, and you'd go to church, and it'd be like God speaking to me. It was like I'm the only one in the room, and and you'd have these like divine appointments with people where you're like, I think I was supposed to say that, and that that really helped. And then one day you skipped church, and the next week you skipped. And I'm doing okay, and so you put down His Word and you stop reading it, and then you didn't pray as much. And then you didn't see as much of the God activities in your life. And then one day, like, how did I get so far from God? You know, what's weird is, is that God never disengaged from Jonah despite all of his disobedience. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, gracious, kind, and merciful. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Is it not? Hmm. Okay. Wasn't that you were running as much as you were drifting from him? When we disobey the commands of God intentionally or even unintentionally, we are drifting. We're separating ourselves from him. The Jonah and all of us. The word of the Lord will come to you. It may not be what you want to hear. When you run, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Some of you are on the run right now, and this third thought may speak to you. When you're on the run, doing your own thing, thought number three is this. God may send a storm to grab your attention. Some of you might go, oh, I see, uh-huh, <laughs> now I know what's going on. Uh, yeah, God may send a storm to grab your attention. Yeah, see, again, notice here that everything just gets allegorized never taken literally, and never understood how it points us to Christ, and taken out of context so badly that you completely biff the gospel. In fact, I don't think the gospel's on Craig Rochelle's radar here, yet it's the very heart and center and whole point and the punchline of the book of Jonah. Sad. 
God might send a storm to grab your attention. Verse 4, Jonah was on the run. Scripture says this, Then the Lord did what? Say it aloud. The Lord, he sent a great wind, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, this was a ship full of sailors that were uh, transporting cargo. So this was a very strong ship. This was such a great wind. We're talking, you can only imagine, boom, the boat going up and down, and everybody's screaming, help, what are we going to do? We've never seen a storm like this, so much so that the integrity of the ship was at risk. They're starting to say, whose fault is this? What's going on? And and they drew straws and did a little lottery thing, and they said, well, it's Jonah's fault. And they said, who are you, and what, what did you do? To bring this on. Verse 8 reveals the answer. Jonah answered them and said, I am a Hebrew and I what? Say that phrase aloud. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Do you really, Jonah? At this point in your life, are you really worshiping the Lord God of heaven? He said, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what in the world have you done? Because they knew he was running from God. Storm blows up, and all of a sudden he starts bringing up the God talk again. Maybe we do need God. If you ask me, uh, what are the three biggest problems in the American church today? What are the three biggest problems? Uh, Seeker-driven pastors, seeker-driven sermons, and seeker-driven multi-site churches uh, where the gospel isn't preached, the, the, um, the Bible is not taught correctly, accurately, or in depth. And, you know, that's, you know the thing, the, those would be my three. What are your three, uh, Craig? I'm not sure what I would say they all are, but beyond a shadow of a doubt, what I would say one of the problems is, is that we've got a generation of people who call themselves followers of Christ, but do not live like it at all. Kind of like (laughs) pastors who refuse to preach God's word and to preach the gospel and teach it accurately and teach false doctrine, you know, things like that. Is that what you mean? At all. At all. Not, there, there, there's no distinction between them and someone, the person that lives next to them that does not know Christ at all. It's a cultural Christianity. It's a Christianity in name only. It, it's a consumeristic religion. <laughs> Weird that a seeker-driven megachurch pastor like Craig Groeschel is great buddies with Stephen Furtick and Perry Noble and Rick Warren and guys like that would have this as his complaint. It's like, do you not listen to yourself, Craig? It's, well, you know, as long as God does good things for me, yeah, I might like, go to church every now and then or something and might bless the Thanksgiving meal or something like that, you know. Hopefully I'll get to go to heaven and maybe it'll make, give me a promotion. And if I get sick, I'll go to him and ask him to heal me or heal someone that I love. But, but there, there's nothing in daily life that resembles the teachings of Jesus in Scripture. Oh, yeah, I worship God. Well, how are they supposed to do anything that resembles the teaching in Scripture about Christ when the churches they go to don't actually preach through the Gospels or the full counsel of the Word of God? How are they supposed to just get this via osmosis? I mean, what what do you recommend there, um, Craig? Do you? Just because you're in church does not mean you worship God. Worshiping God is not something you do for an hour a week. It's a lifestyle. 
I, 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 I worship God, I worship God. Then I go home and yell and scream at my kids and throw things at them. You worship God? I, oh, yeah. I, I worship God, but I'm a pastor in a megachurch, and I don't actually preach his word or preach the gospel. I just rip verses out of context and make up words like kazone and, and teach bizarre teachings regarding that as if, you know, that's a biblical teaching and, and give people five easy, relevant tips to make, you know, to make their lives better. Uh, but I, I, I'm a Christian. Get my point? Yeah, yeah I worship, worship God and then go play golf and take God's name in vain. You, 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 you really think you worship God? Oh. I mean, you really think you worship God, and here you're the pastor of a mega church, and you totally miss the gospel here, and you're twisting the story of the book of Jonah? I mean, you do something like that, and you call yourself a Christian? Oh, this is an easy game to play. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're a Christian couple. Yeah, we even have our own Bible that sits on our coffee table. We're a Christian couple, but but... Our marriage hadn't been going so good, and I know that we don't really have biblical grounds for divorce, you know, but, but, but we're just not happy. So we're going to divorce because that'll be better for everyone. I know what God says, but I don't want to do what he says. Forgive me if this comes across harsh, but it just... I, I, I believe I'll answer to God one day at some level for what goes on in our church. And yeah, like all the things you were told to do in God's Word regarding preaching the Word, teaching that which is accords with sound doctrine, you know, things like that. You're right. You're going to have to do some explaining as to why you didn't do those things. And there are times when I look around and say, I'm not sure what's going on here is really pleasing God. This is halfway lukewarm cultural Christianity thing that, um, yeah, we, we know God says it, but <laughs> I don't want to do it. You say you worship God, do you really? Sailors are freaking out. It's a big storm. Jonah finally realizes it's my fault. Some of you are going to recognize that right now. You're going to think, well, what I was doing, my, my private rebellion, it wasn't hurting anybody. Oh, don't kid yourself. If it hadn't hurt somebody yet, it's going to tomorrow. You realize this is my fault. I'm, I'm hurting all these innocent people by my disobedience to God. He finally owns up to it. You can see it in verse 12. He says, okay, guys, I'm sorry. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm. This whole storm is my fault, he said, that this great storm has come upon you. So the sailors, they're going to have mercy on him because they, they really cared about him, even though they didn't know him. They said, we're not going to do that to you. Let's throw our cargo off the boat. This was the thing that, that their livelihood. Okay, let's throw it off the boat. We're going to get rid of everything to try to save you. That didn't work. Okay, let's row back to shore. Row, row, row your boat. Okay, that didn't work either. And finally, it's like, okay, we're all going to die. I guess we need to throw you off. And so they said, God, forgive us. We're sorry. We don't want to do this to Jonah. Jonah, we're sorry. And they throw him overboard. And the sea goes calm. Then something unbelievably bad in our human mind happens to Jonah. If you know the story, he got swallowed up by a big fish. Then something unbelievably bad in our human mind happens to Jonah. If you know the story, he got swallowed up by a big fish. People say Jonah and the whale it was not a whale. Original text says it was a fish. Doesn't really matter. It was big. It was nasty. 
Okay, he's in the fish for three days. That's freaking me out. I can't even eat fish for three days, which I've eaten fish for three months after my wife read this satanic book that said meat is bad, but fish is good. People are saying you look like you lost weight because I've been eating rabbit food and fish for three months. So I'm not bitter. I still love my wife. I'm just praying for her deliverance. <laughs> Some pastors go out of town and like they go and do wild things. I go out of town and I eat steak. <laughs> it's a great thing. That's why I'm out of town a lot. <laughs> Thought number four. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Verse 15, 16, and 17 tells the story. Jonah they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Verse 17, now check this out. Whoa, slow down. You just went over an important part there. Did you catch the part where the sailors repent and believe in the one true God and offer sacrifices to him? I mean, that, isn't that great? The Jonah's sin results in their salvation. <laughs> it's just amazing. I mean, and they end up offering sacrifices to the true God and making vows to him. You see, isn't that, isn't that just ridiculous? Jonah's rebellion against God results in their salvation. What a great thing. You, you missed that, Craig. But the Lord did what? Say that phrase aloud. But the Lord... One, one more time. What did the Lord do? The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. The Lord provided the fish. What Jonah would see is the worst possible scenario God provided. Some of you right now, you may be facing what you would consider as your, as your nightmare. You, you may financially, you may be like, I'm done. It's over. And God may say, okay, now. Do I have your attention? Some of you may be facing a relationship that you think it just couldn't get any worse than this. And God may say, okay, do I have your attention? Now, what I'm not going to say is I'm not going to tell you that everything that bad happens is God causing it in your life. Because I don't believe that is true. But I do believe with everything in me that there are times where God may cause or God may allow what we would consider is our worst nightmare so that he can fully get our attention. I'll give you an example, and uh, I've, if you've been here for a while, I've talked around this story for a couple of years, but I've never told the whole story until this weekend. It's with the, the blessings of my family that I do uh, tell this story. Uh, my wife's brother, Amy, uh, Amy's my wife, uh, her brother is David. He passed away at the age of 35. I've never told you why. Uh, he grew up in a Christian home, and in his teens, he said, forget God. I know what God says. But I don't believe he's real. I don't want to do what, he, what, what his commands teach anyway, so I'm going to do my own thing. He went into a hard party life. One thing led to another, and he entered into a full-blown homosexual lifestyle. Early 20s, David came to us and came to his parents and said, I am HIV positive. Family's worst nightmare. That is a death sentence on someone. And so we prayed for healing and uh, he was never healed. 
Worst thing possible. Not to David. David told us before he died, he said it's the best thing that ever happened to him. Because between the age of 23 or so and 35 when he died, he was fully committed to Christ. That's what it took. And when I'm telling you he was committed, he was committed. I know there may be some who were equal in his commitment, but I don't know anyone more so. And I'm not telling you he was perfect because he was, and he messed up sometimes and had some struggles. But I'll tell you what, the dude was full on for Jesus. He married a great girl who's now will be a part of our family forever. She is family. Adopted her son, coolest kid in the whole world. And I count it one of my greatest honors to get to invest in his life. At David's funeral at the age of 35, um, I'll tell you what, I've been a part of uh, probably a couple hundred funerals in ministry. I've never seen one where God did more. I've never seen one where God did more. Never, ever seen one where God did more. And so I asked uh, David, David's mom, my mother-in-law, would you change it to have David back? And the mother of her, uh, this child said, no, no way. I wouldn't trade any of it for what God has done. That's intense. That's intense. Because what we would call our worst nightmare, and it was, actually became one of the greatest things that I've ever seen God do. The word of the Lord will come to you and you have a choice, obey or disobey. When God speaks to you, you can always find a ship sailing in the wrong direction. If you do not obey, he may send a storm to grab your attention. If that doesn't get it... When you don't obey, which you don't perfectly, daily you sin against God in thought, word, and deed. He sends the virgin-born... Son of God, to die on the cross for your sins. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day for our justification. Salvation belongs to the Lord. As Jonah rightly points out, that God is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You see, he wants to forgive you. That's what the gospel's all about. Because you don't obey. Even on your best day, you don't obey. And the solution isn't just to try harder to obey. The solution is the one who obeyed for you, who gives you his righteousness as a gift imputed to you and to your account as a gift, as an inheritance, all by grace, received through faith. See the difference? He may allow you to face your worst nightmare. When he does, understand this. It's all because he loves you, because he has something for you to do. And He, mm, he loves you because he has something for you to do. Yeah. He has a city or a group of people for you to impact. Really? City for you to impact. Wow. He's, you sure are important, you know. You got a choice. You can keep running or you can come back to him. I pray you. Now you could repent and be forgiven. You come back to him. All of our campuses, let's pray together. Nope. Done. You see what I'm saying? One moralizes the story, the other takes the story, exegetes it, and preaches the gospel from the text itself, which is there for us to read, 
to hear, for pastors to preach, and for us for it to be proclaimed. And yet, Craig Rochelle, sadly, almost like a blind man leading blind people, missed the entire point of the book of Jonah, which is that salvation belongs to the Lord. So we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. What'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.